I don't think we need much of an intro other than, hi, I'm Devin Scott. Hey, I'm Will Ross. We got an emergency episode. Things have gotten too crazy with Zack Snyder's Snyder Cut of Justice League. All right, here we go. This is Film Formally. Film Deformally. So I have one recording note, and that's that I bit my tongue last night, so I have a slur today. <laughs> so I'm going to be speaking a little slower, and I'm going to sound a bit more like Rudy Giuliani than usual. <laughs> that's our cold open right there. We should start with you explaining, Will, yeah. what exactly the heck is we're talking about. How, why are we interested in what's happening with this uh, hack, fraud, superhero movie cash-in? Right. Okay. We're talking about the Snyder Cut. Yeah. If for those who don't know what the Snyder Cut is, back in 2017, there was a movie called Justice League that you may remember seeing advertisements for. The idea was that like all the recent like kind of superhero movies like Wonder Woman and Man of Steel, um, these are all from the DC Comics universe, and they were being put in their own Avengers-style team. Well, I think people know what the DC universe is. Listeners, you know what DC is, right? It means District of Columbia. Let's talk about Justice League. <laughs> okay, so Justice League comes out in 2017, but not before a big tussle-up, right? Like, Zack Snyder leaves the film. Re- re- there's reliable reports that he was forcibly removed or fired from the film. After because... doing such a great job on Batman v Superman. <laughs> yeah, well, the studio was worried because Batman v Superman vastly underperformed and it got huge criticism. And a big criticism was like, why is this so miserable? <laughs> and the other criticism was, why is this so dumb? <laughs> But Warner Brothers really took the miserable part to heart. And so that's when they like completely recut Suicide Squad to be like poppier and jokier. But to be more and, like a trailer. Yeah. And they hired Joss Whedon, the guy who directed the first two Avengers movies, to reshoot a ton of Justice League. Now, there's reports that it was more than half of Justice League was reshot. Uh, there's others that say it was less. I don't know which is true. But so the Justice League that comes out in 2017, even the composer, uh, Tom Holkenborg, a.k.a. Junkie XL, gets replaced, and Danny Elfman does the score. It's a really good score. I like it a lot. We'll talk about that later. Uh, we should also mention that the reason that Zack Snyder had to depart the project was due to massive family tragedy. That's somewhat disputed. Is yeah. it disputed? Oh, no. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the that, plot goes like, deeper than we thought? Yeah, like there was a, a huge family tragedy in his life at the time, um, and that coincided with it, but there's kind of reports that that was used as a, as a pretext by the studio to force him out. Oh, no. I, I think this might be something where we eventually do find out the full story, but it might take a while. It might take a few years. We're waiting for the, the easy riders and raging bulls this, <laughs> yeah, this time period. Not exactly. a book I recommend. Don't read that. It's a terrible book. <laughs> but the new Justice League, uh, which we'll call the Whedon Cut, comes out. It's bad by common consensus and a lot of people who love Zack Snyder's movies, even though, in my opinion, they're mostly bad, um, say like, hey, um, let Snyder do his own cut. Like, you know, release the Snyder cut becomes this rallying cry. Um, but no one even knows if a Snyder cut exists. The short version is Snyder does get funding to do the Snyder cut and uh, starts working on recutting it and even reshooting parts of it in 2020. And that brings us back up to now. And the reason 
why I want to talk about the Snyder Cut today is because there's just update after update after update with the Snyder Cut that is just madness. <laughs> like, Well, that's the how. Why do yeah. we want to talk about the Snyder Cut? Why? Oh, why do we want to? What is fascinating about this? Yeah, why does this fascinate us? Especially you, Will. Why does this fascinate I'm, you? I'm a weird, perverse guy. Well, we all knew that. I'm, I'm fascinated by the Snyder Cut because it's just this hurricane of contradictions and misinformation and all these weird changes like there's ch- uh, beyond just what we knew which is oh we'll see footage we that was shot in 2017 that we never got to see there's all these weird format changes and all these claims being made about original intent that are almost certainly not true that are provably untrue it's just crazy and i mean it really exists at the locus of a lot of um, misapprehensions common misapprehensions yeah. about authorial intent yeah especially formalist intent yeah and and part of what really frustrates me is that there are a lot of fans of snyder's and of dc comics movies or whatever um who who treat a lot of the dubious or obviously false claims uh, credulously and i think part of that is because they they see what they want to see but part of it is also not their fault because this because these claims that get made kind of run into this technical realm where people kind of just throw up their hands and go like okay i trust what you're saying and and it's easy to that for them to get hoodwinked right you know i i think we can easily say that this is the most significant public misinformation event of the past month <laughs> yeah anyway so like usually on film formally we kind of zero in on one thing um uh, and, yeah, it's and that just, one thing is the justice league this is kind of film d formally today <laughs> i made a twitter thread a few days ago and the twitter thread is just trying to collect the facts so far and i i tried for the most part to like not put my opinions in the twitter thread so if you want kind of just like just the facts version of the stuff we're going to talk about here. Go that Twitter thread. We'll link it in the show notes. I'm I'm quite proud of it. And to my knowledge, the information in it hasn't been compiled elsewhere yet. Here's here's where things start. So Zack Snyder and Fabian Wagner uh, shoot Justice League, right? Who's um, Fabian Wagner, Will? Zack Snyder's cinematographer on the film. And so in 2017, while those two are still, you know, the people who worked on the film... They give interviews, and in the interviews, they state pretty definitively uh, this film was shot for 1.85 to 1. Zack Snyder says, oh, I loved shooting the IMAX sections of Batman v Superman, so now I want to shoot in boxier aspect ratios. So instead of shooting the very widescreen 2.35 to 1, um, which you can learn more about in our episode about why is this in scope and Hunger Games, uh, he, he shoots in 1.85 to 1, which is a little taller. Fabian Wagner, in an interview with British cinematographer, says, I was a little concerned as to how we would get half a dozen superheroes on screen in the same frame, but having scrutinized the storyboarded scenes with Zack, 1.85 to 1 was a perfect fit with the way the characters are visualized. That's that's just direct. That says that like based on the storyboards they made, that 1.85, it was the intent. It was shot for 1.85 to 1. After this... Snyder leaves the project. That's something I'm not terribly, honestly, interested in, the politics of it. Um, there's all this stuff about, like, why Snyder was fired, Joss Whedon's behavior on set. I don't really want to comment on that. In any case, he leaves, and Joss Whedon reshoots the footage, 
and it just looks really bad. <laughs> does or, he reshoot a lot of the footage, or does he mostly does he shoot the parts of the film that haven't yet been shot? Yeah, well, this is this is contested, and for the sake of kind of a chronological journey, I'll I'll kind of leave the possible answer to that question to later because that comes up. I think it's really important to go into what the 2017 Justice League movie is because it is a deeply weird film-shaped object to steal the term from Tim Brayton. <laughs> it's an almost impossible movie to tackle because it's two movies at war with each other. Anyways, Zach and Fabian <laughs> shot their material on 35 millimeter film stock and it's generally, I think, aesthetically all right, actually. I, I shot quite like the shot. lighting for the most part. Yeah. yeah. There is a whole lot of other material that is different in very key ways that is clearly shot by Joss Whedon and whatever cinematographer he employed. It's it's absurd how different these two films look, really. Yeah. So you'll have scenes where, you know, you have a shot reverse shot where it cuts from Ben Affleck looking, you know, great. <laughs> you know, lit from a single source to the side. He looks fit and trim. And then it cuts back to the reverse. And then it cuts back to Ben Affleck where he has apparently put on like 20 or 30 pounds <laughs> and he's lit in a way that is vaguely similar but doesn't match at all in a yeah. lot of ways. His makeup and hair are very different and even the focal length is different. The shooting medium is also different. Clearly, the new material is shot digitally. It, it was, yeah. So these two sets of footage have enough going on that's different between the two of them that they do not fit. They just don't. Um, yeah. And you have other whole scenes where they have color corrected Snyder's original footage to change the mood of it. You have the one infamous scene where a, a fight scene that was clearly supposed to be taking place at night has been brutally color graded to be taking place during the day. And um, yet more scenes where they've clearly shot pickups digitally with all the actors not even in the same room. And they have haphazardly stitched the footage together into these big old, you know, talking around a table scenes where no one quite makes eye contact. Yeah. It's all one, extremely weird and off-putting. Yeah, one of the things that's uh, especially surprising about how badly put together it is is that those scenes where they add new shots in the middle of stuff that Snyder and Wagner shot, uh, those shots, um, like the fact that the focal lengths are different and the lights are different, like... These are things, especially on productions of this size and scale, like these are things that are recorded on the day, like the focal length, like even stuff like often the distance between uh, actors and the camera, like the lights that were used, like all this stuff gets recorded. Even if just for VFX. Yeah. It's, and specifically for the purpose of stuff like this, uh, like if they it needs to be reshot. So it almost looks like it was just kind of matched by eye mm -hmm. reshoots and pickups are par for the course in major hollywood films the vast majority right. do them it's it's run-of-the-mill it's expected you you have actors on retainer for that sort of thing it's it's not like they weren't expecting to do pickups most films have pickups it's absolutely bizarre how much they fumbled that and i don't know why it's unclear i i mean it's interesting that whedon's name is not on the director slate uh, the director title card in the 2017 cut of Justice League. There's reports that more than 50% of that film is his. I I'm, don't quite buy that because you can really skeptical. tell what's his. Yeah, I'm pretty skeptical of that, but I, I imagine we'll get a very good idea of that and be able to 
kind of piece it together bit by bit when the Snyder Cut comes out. Mm-hmm. In any case, the Whedon Cut came out and people people just didn't like it. There's still mysteries with that film. I mean, one of... I'll, I'll bring this up For what up it's now. worth, it's my favorite of the three Justice League movies. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it when corporate initiatives explode in front of yeah, me. Yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating, right? Like, it's so interesting, as you said, seeing a film at war with itself. It's also pretty well scored like it's not a perfect score danny elfman was brought on to replace holkenborg it's it's a score that like is much more drawn from the kind of traditions of superhero scoring that danny elfman and john williams laid out in the 70s superman movies and uh the batman tim burton movies and even draws themes from those movies and and you know, the the Zimmer method of heavily electronically produced music um, that's very, very melodically limited and has a huge focus on like high gain uh, rhythm <laughs> and drums. That kind of stuff is just at such contrast with that other style. So it feels like it was an attempt to course correct by making it more lighthearted like those old movies by putting in music that sounds like those old movies. The music of Justice League, even though it is at war with the movie and is not a super consistent success, um, I generally quite like and I think is kind of like at the crux of what I like about the movie, (laughs) which is like this is just internal struggle. It's not actually a movie about superheroes fighting against aliens or whatever. It's about a movie fighting against a movie. But people don't like it justifiably because it's not good. (laughs) To me, I get similar enjoyment out of it as I do with like rise of skywalker you know sure. both movies with very good scores yeah i'm sure the, you know the uh, the boardroom at the head of the corporation just makes some phenomenally bad decisions and it all explodes in spectacularly someone accused me of trolling uh, on my letterbox with my review of that movie i mean that review clearly is enjoying <laughs> you you're clearly enjoying what you're doing well no my, and that is in a sense what trolling can, is can i read my review First bullet sure. point, all caps. This is such garbage. Second bullet point, I love it. Third bullet point, this is the best trick, trick Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back, which yeah. is true. All Three, true. Fourth bullet point, what a dumpster fire, my God. <laughs> How can you accuse me of trolling when I write that? It's all from the heart. It's all honest. Trolling isn't about not telling the truth. <laughs> trolling is about willfully inciting anger. <laughs> but this is where it gets interesting. So... All these calls for the Snyder Cut start coming out, right? Like, people are like, release the Snyder Cut. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Yeah. There's all these hints over the years. Like, the cast says, like, oh, we shot all this other footage with Zack. Uh, Zack Snyder's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other stuff out there. And this kind of call for the Snyder Cut to be released increases. Um, and I will say my opinion right now that these calls for the Snyder Cut to be released were always a bit ridiculous. Because it's not like there's just a cut that can be released. You know, like there's a ton of effects work that would need to be done. <laughs> like, it's not like Andrew Dominic's four hour cut of Jesse James, where yeah. we can be pretty sure that that exists. But then in late 2019, uh, Zack Snyder, in the biggest development in this over the first kind of two years of this whole drama on the website Vero, which I still have no idea what Vero is. <laughs> But it's other than it's the place where Zack Snyder posts stuff. It's the first time I've ever heard of this website. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he posts an image of a bunch of 35 millimeter film cans. Uh, and he puts a text that looks like the text from the social network poster from 2010 on it that says, <laughs> is it real? Does it exist? Of course it does. 
and it's all these film cans and on it it says zs zack snyder jl director's cut running time 214 so that's three hours and 34 minutes people go like oh my god the snyder cut exists there's 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 film cans there's marked film cans this reaction that oh my god there's a finished snyder cut is is somewhat justified right because like we might i mean there's no effects for it obviously but we know there's a full cut now but I, I have some workflow questions about this image. Yeah. Like, is this a release? Is this a photo of a release print we're seeing? Like, it, it, like it's not is, a release print. It's it's like a in the vault. This film had a DI. Yeah. <laughs> so why would it be in cans outside of the context of a release print? Like, did they do a film out? I, what? Good good questions. Um, all questions. <laughs> that I'm vastly un- unqualified to answer and no one can answer. But I mean, one of the big questions was, oh, did he even shoot all the footage, right? Like, oh, is there even the, enough footage for him to do a Snyder cut? Or was it just he shot some of it, then got fired before he finished, and then Whedon completed it? And these See, cans... That second bit is what I always thought it was. Yeah, and these cans seem to prove, oh, there, there's enough footage for the full thing. Um, and spoilers, I, I think... The best evidence available today is that Snyder did pretty much shoot the whole film. That's insane. It's just crazy that he got replaced after shooting the full film. But in any case, so moving on from that image. That um, would kind of put the lie to the whole he had to back out because of family tragedy thing. And that's the only reason why Josh Whedon had no choice but to step in as the only other person qualified to make a movie like this. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Tom Holkenberg. Also in 2019, he said, oh, I finished my score. There's a full score for Justice League. <laughs> I completed it. So uh, we don't know whether he like scored to this director's cut in the cans or whatever, but he just says, oh, the full score's out there. So fast forward to May of this year, 2020. Uh, the world is gripped by a pandemic. Movies, especially big superhero movies, are no longer coming out. And it is announced that in support of their upcoming streaming platform, HBO Max, Warner Brothers has given Zack Snyder the funding to release his cut of the film with carte blanche, um, with new effects, uh, some re-editing, and new musical score with about a 20 to 30 million budget. That's that's the reports uh, from the, the Hollywood Reporter. Just for the record, that's like eight moonlights. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can imagine, especially in this time of coronavirus, that, like, you know, maybe smaller productions uh, that can be made in innovative ways, unlike, you know, like, huge blockbusters that, like, just have this very rigorous and, and long set kind of structure of how they're made. Maybe ones that can be made at a smaller scale with alternative methods safely. Maybe that's a good time to invest in them. But no, it's just like, let's let's sell HBO Max with making an alternate cut of a movie that no one liked. So this is where the weirdness begins. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Well, that's that's a misrepresentation. There's, there's already been so much weirdness. This is where the weirdness escalates. I, I, you're right that in, in like May, when I first hear that the Snyder Cut's coming out, my threshold for weirdness was much different than now. And this this part coming up right here, folks, this is where the like actual film formally analysis is about to kick in. Everything up to now has been just like the the table setting because this is where the craziness kicks in. So in May 2020, Zack Snyder on on what was it called Vero? Is that, 
is happening. Is that is that different than like what's that one vertical platform, Moby? Or... <laughs> uh, Quibi. Rest in peace. So on Quibi, someone asked Zack Snyder, <laughs> "Will Justice League <laughs> have a one point eighty five to one aspect ratio or the traditional two point thirty nine to one?" And by that, he just means that most superhero movies have been shot in two point thirty nine. Yeah, to yeah. One. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta push back against this idea of traditional. What's traditional? But you know what traditional is? I was about to say like bards regaling uh, people with oral history, <laughs> but <laughs> like there's nothing traditional about two thirty nine, folks. Come on. I mean, it's it's traditional in the sense that most superhero movies have been shot that way, like most big budget superhero movies. Zack Snyder responds, 1.66 to 1. (laughs) And this is crazy, right? This is like, (laughs) excuse me? What? So 1.66 to 1, for those who don't know, is kind of this older, very rarely used today standard. It's a European widescreen. Yeah, it's often called European widescreen. We won't get into the full history of it, but... Oh, no, let me get into the full history. I can do this in like 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so um, back in Hollywood, you know, it, there were competing standards for widescreen in Hollywood. You had anamorphic widescreen, you had Cinerama, <laughs> um, and one of them was just 185 to 1, which is you, you crop off the top and bottom of an Academy Ratio image, you get a widescreen image, and you say film. The European version of this cropping standard was 166 which was halfway between the two ish it was a little taller than 185 a little wider than academy ratio and yeah that's european spherical widescreen non-anamorphic anyway point being it's you know it's less wide than what you would expect a blockbuster be and less wide than like what most theatrically released movies for the last like 30 40 years in hollywood have looked like and and that's that's weird, right? <laughs> like, and so when I first hear this news, like I'm pretty struck by it. Um, I hadn't at this point found that smoking gun thing, but I it was just surprising to me because I always thought 185. I mean, for whatever both the Whedon and Snyder footages problems from Justice League's Whedon cut. That 185 seemed to be like a ratio that more or less fit what I was seeing, you know, like stuff seemed to be composed within that. So 1.66 to 1, that's that's pretty surprising. How he how he would have landed on that is an interesting idea. Like, well, I I think the next development gives us a clue, which is that two months later, (laughs) Zack Snyder says in an interview, my intent was to have the movie, the entire film play in a gigantic 1.43 aspect ratio on a giant IMAX screen and he he says that it's literally a restoration project there were certain scenes that were just fucked up by the crop I don't know what in, those in the scenes Snyder are cut. I don't I don't I don't think the composition in the weed and cut is the problem for in in, in that Twitter thread I did I just kind of like let put up that quote and didn't comment on it um but like in 2017 he and his cinematographer said that it was shot in 1.85, right? Like, it just seems so irresponsible to blame the people who took on your cut for a change that they didn't make, right? Like, a cha- like you, now that you're saying, oh, this is how I want it to be, and in order to burnish, like, my credibility, I'm going to throw the people who replaced me under the bus. And don't get me wrong, like, if you want to be mad at the people who replaced you and say, hey, like, you you know like call them scabs or whatever like uh, that's 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 fine right like you want I him get, to be correct in his anger yeah i i get being salty but and snyder in that same interview it's a video interview he said that it was shot quote unquote on the day 
in 1.33 to 1 uh, with the intent of releasing it in theaters in 1.43 to 1 IMAX. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this where we talk about open mat? Yeah, this is the place. This is where okay. we do it. So, um, a little a little thing about, so, Justice League shot on 35mm film. On yeah. 4 perf 35mm. Generally, when you shoot in 35mm with the intent to screen in 185 to 1, you do it in one of two ways. You shoot it three perf which means a let's a perf a perf is a perforation in your film and it's often used as a way of measuring film when film runs through a camera it has to have sprocket holes in the side so it can physically be run through at a regulated rate and those sprocket holes are used as rough measurements for how tall each frame of film is right so right. for perforation 35 millimeter film results in a aspect ratio of around 133 137 to 1 ish Three perf film results in an aspect ratio around 185 to 1. Two perf results in an aspect ratio of around 2.39 to 1. So, for example, um, Hollywood films made before the early 50s were almost entirely shot for perf because Academy ratio was the standard. However, when the move to 185 to 1 was made, a lot of films to this day have been shot still for perf. Even films made for you know for cinemascope release lord of the rings is a great example there's open mat versions of that in a lot of scenes where you can see like there's the frames are considerably taller the reason for this is generally for safety purposes right for example um when films were made for 185 release oftentimes you would protect for when you wanted to show on television which were almost always 133 to 1 right oftentimes it's for vfx purposes or just flexibility there's a lot of reasons to do so so a lot of open mat versions of films exist um a i remember the first example i can ever remember is a fish called wanda where i had that on a flipper disc that was half four by three half 185 <laughs> to one and the reason i remember that is i was like oh i don't remember being able to actually see john cleese's rear end in this scene um, <laughs> and, and you know as a result you know you can because there's an open mat version where we see things that we shouldn't see a lot of films including Big budget films like the Justice League are shot open mat where they compose for a 133, sorry, they compose for a 185 to 1 frame while shooting a taller frame. Um, they do not compose for that taller frame. The result is, you know, a lot of these open mats, you'll see boom microphones in frame or just the composition won't look good because composition is not about the medium you're shooting on. It's about intent. It's about what part of this image am I going to use? If you're not composing for the 133 frame, but you're shooting in 133 frame, your film was never intended for that ratio. And Snyder here appears to be blurring that line intentionally to to justify what is probably a revisionist decision. Am I, am I incorrect in any of this? We can't be quite in definitive enough about this for me to just come out and say like, oh, Zack Snyder is being untruthful. Compl uh, absolutely, clearly, 100% untruthful about how he originally shot it especially because i i believe that he might have shot it and this is common for blockbusters as well where you'll shoot a version of the film that is kind of to your aspect ratio specifications and you'll also you know like you shoot it for example on an ari alexa digital camera and it'll be 1.85 is the full range that you shoot, but you compose it for 2.35 to 1. That's how Blade Runner 2049 was shot. But you'll keep the top and bottom of the frame that you intend to crop out. You'll keep that clear just so that the movie can be screened 
in a different aspect ratio than IMAX because it's the sellable point. Oh, look, you get more picture in IMAX. Yeah. So, for example, Blade Runner 2049, the theatrical version, the mainline theatrical version, the version that was primarily composed for is 239 to 1. But the IMAX slash leaked version <laughs> is uh, 1.9 to 1. Yeah. Um, which is a bit taller. Um the, I mean, directors have been doing this in both directions for years. I mean, I'm, I'm going through Eric Romero films right now, and uh, a lot of his later work especially is primarily composed for 137 to 1, but was protected actually for 166 to 1 because a lot of European screens could only project in that ratio. So he knew that he had to kind of thread the needle, um, which leads to there's a whole lot of home video messiness that resulted from this. So you'll have like a version of it that is better restored 166, but, you know, it still looks better in 137 because the, the compositions are just so far away better in that ratio. Um, so it's all very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, uh, one good example is the movie Sully by Clint Eastwood a few years back. There was an IMAX version and a regular version, and I watched it in both versions, and unusually to me, it both versions felt compromised. It always felt like, in the IMAX version, it always felt like there's a little too much headroom that is like vertical space in the frame above the character's head mm-hmm. or above the important things in the frame. Um, but then in the narrower aspect ratio of 2.35 to one, it always felt cramped. Like it, it always Mm. felt like there was information that was just barely kind of being crammed into the frame. So that one, it felt to me was being protected for, for both ratios anyway. So it gets crazier. There's another twist. Yeah. But that same month in another interview, Snyder says the film is going to be longer than 214 minutes. He's explicitly refers to the film cans that say 214 minutes on it and says it's going to be longer than that. And just (laughs) one month later, he says that the film is now about four hours long uh, and it's going to be a mini series. It's going to be in four (laughs) parts, four one hour parts. Interesting structural choice, but okay. He, He talked a little bit in one interview about how he intended or how he one way that he thought about releasing it in 2017 was what if we do uh, two t- parts, you know, uh, Justice League part one and two, a few months apart, and oh, no. each is two hours, no. which was a big trend and, and arguably still, quote unquote, is right with like Avengers well, Infinity War part one and part two, which was renamed Avengers Endgame. Endgame feels like everyone knows that that, di- that didn't live or die on being split, that lived and died on being Endgame. Yeah. And for example, The Hobbit underperformed. Everyone basically forgot that Mockingjay Part 2 existed. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm optimistic that this trend is dying. All this talk about aspect ratios, and we haven't seen any footage, right? So it's been 1.85 to 1. uh, It's been 1.66 to 1, apparently. It's been 1.43 to 1. um, And we finally get a trailer. We finally get to see... Zack Snyder's vision for Justice League. Uh, and the trailer is in 1.33 to 1. With clearly unintentional soft corners on the frame, which means yeah. that they're showing the entire open gate of the film frame, which is highly unusual unless your film is like Son of Saul and you're an artsy Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. It's like a ghost story, Son of Saul, a movie we made together called The Martyr. <laughs> which was <laughs> like, shot digitally, but we wanted to rip off Son of Saul. So we- yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, it's kind of like you, uh, you know it when you see it thing. We'll put an image in the show notes, but it's just 
the corner at the very corner of the frame you can see a, like it's just the corners are rounded off right and the reason for that is just literally like that the film area itself isn't actually a square it's there's actually like slightly rounded corners on the film and the reason you never see this when you watch a movie in theaters or on dvd or on blu-ray is because those corners are not like they're not supposed to be part of the frame right like that's just the full area that even in films that are presented in 1.33 to 1 usually those corners are cropped out it's in they were never intended to be shown Um, and it's actually an art among 35 millimeter projectionists to properly crop the film as you're showing it but yeah so these corners in the trailer are really weird and they're not consistent like they they appear in different amounts in different shots but they're they're very obviously present like why do you think that's yeah well like like, because so much of this and this is gonna really really kick into high gear and then with the next twist but so much of this appears to be snyder grasping at art house signifiers yeah no it's just it's crazy well i mean you would think if it was like a signifier thing like strictly that that he would just keep the corners consistent right like you can digitally add on corners or or whatever and the other thing is i mean my first reaction to the trailer is like oh this is a mistake um <laughs> this is the it's supposed it was supposed to be in 1.43 to 1 and snyder whatever supervised the footage and maybe even cut the trailer uh himself because it's set to hallelujah which he famously used for a very overlong and overblown sex scene in the movie watchmen but anyway maybe he hands off the trailer with the and says like oh make sure this is cut to 1.43 to 1 and whoever's job it was to like finally master the trailer like goes like oh yeah that looks like imax and just puts it out with the round of corners that's kind of like my like oh this 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 was a mistake because Snyder said it's 1.43 to 1. We have him on record saying that this movie is supposed to be in 1.43 to 1. And the 1.66 to 1 thing is weird. But he's talked so much specifically about IMAX ratio. And, you know, like he didn't say anything about changing it to 1.33 to 1. Um, <laughs> but he then he doesn't say anything about the trailer. The trailer doesn't get pulled or corrected. He doesn't say anything about like, oh, the trailer was a mistake. Um so that's that's weird <laughs> but but we don't and and the other thing about the trailer is that generally speaking it seems pretty damn obvious that the footage was not shot for 1.43 to 1 or 1.33 to 1 This is more of a qualitative judgment on our part but it's yeah. the compositions don't look good there's the one that I always use is that there's the flash and a person below him on a road and there's an exploding car in the background and there's like a, a, the the stuff that's below and above where the 1.85 frame would be is like the tops of some buildings um a little bit more cloud in the sky like there's a crosswalk, crosswalk light like awkwardly cut off yeah exactly and if you crop it to 1.85 then like you get like the leading lines of the buildings receding into the background and the road. You get the visible explosion from the car. You get the two of them with uh, the Flash's feet kind of resting just above where the line for 1.85 would be. Uh, and it's a it's a decently composed frame, but 1.43 to 1. And like it, there's just stuff all over the place in the trailer where there's tons of stuff on the top and bottom that's clearly inessential and even deleterious to the compositions. This is this is when it gets weird to me, right? And this is where uh, <laughs> this is the fifth time you said that, by the way. This is the time when I was like, "Oh, when this movie comes out, we should do an episode on aspect ratios." There's a whole new then a whole new door kicks open on this whole thing, 
when reports in September come out that there's another week of shooting happening for Justice League. And somehow it gets um, costing, what, $70 million? Yeah, that the, the project costs $70 million, and no one knows what the hell's going on. I, I still don't know if it's that those initial reports of the 20 to $30 million budget were just wrong, or if that was the original bullet budget and it ballooned. People go like, I thought you shot everything. I thought you had a cut. I thought the cut, you said the cut existed. Why is there another week of shooting happening? And what are you going to shoot in a week? And yeah, and there's, it's in the middle of a pandemic and Henry Cavill says he's not involved in the shoots, but pretty much all the other major stars of the film are involved in the, in the new shoot. And then that same month, Tom Holkenborg says, oh, I'm composing new music. Like there's, there, he says like, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on composing music. I was like, well, I thought there was a full score. I know that like it's longer now. It's like half an hour longer, but like what? <laughs> right? Like what was Holkenborg scoring to in 2017? Um, and how much is the movie being reshaped? <sighs> okay, I guess I guess this is where we get into kind of the philosophical question of like, will we ever see the Snyder cut that we kind of talked about in 2017? And does it matter? <sighs> yeah. I yeah, good question. I don't care that much about the Snyder Cut in and of itself. For me, the, the, the question of like, what are we going to get with the Snyder Cut? How's that going to look and all that? Like, I kind of couldn't care less. For me, what's interesting here is that the wide popular initiative to do this is based off such bizarre, misleading, it seems, misconceptions about how films are made and framed. And I, I, I like stories that make no sense. And this makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah like i mean what snyder would have been able to put out in 2017 if he wasn't fired is not the same as what he would have put out in 2017 if he was kept on the project and warner brothers said like by the way you can do whatever the hell you want like literally whatever you want just like smile oh i'll get to smile and like that's different from what happens three years later like when you say to him like hey you can go back to all that stuff you shot and like put it out however you want. I, I avoided saying this at the, from the start because I didn't want to alienate people. But like my favorite band, I, in my opinion, the greatest pop band of all time is the Beach Boys. There's this famous infamous album by the Beach Boys called Smile that it was their follow up to their like hugely acclaimed album Pet Sounds. And Brian Wilson was doing all this weird stuff in, with Smile and he was kind of beginning this tailspin of mental health and drug abuse that he was going in and he was working on this like huge magnum opus album uh, that was going to just like blow everyone away and the album got shelved his mental state collapsed and he just couldn't finish it and they put out an album largely based on songs and snatches of music that were intended for smile but are partly re-recorded partly original and it's called smiley smile and so this is kind of the weed and cut of smile <laughs> go on but brian wilson doesn't want to even listen to smile he doesn't want to touch it but like 35 years or so later this backing band that he's been touring with as a solo artist convinced him like hey we should like finish smile we should re-record it and well, really the wonderments convinced him i didn't know that uh yes yeah they convinced him partly because they could do all these crazy arrangements of like complex material that he had 
done in studio and was thought to be impossible live and they could do it live. And so they said, hey, maybe we could do Smile Live. And that led to him and uh, a couple of Wonderman's members basically reconstructing and completing Smile. And one interesting thing about that, by the way, is that like there were all these fan mixes of Smile on the internet that like took like bootlegged and uh, partly released material and tried to put together like their own assembly of Smile. I've made one myself back in the day. And apparently they listened to those like like Brian Wilson and his team, like listened to all of those fan mixes and used them for mm-hmm. ideas and putting together their own final oh, version. That raises so many questions. Exactly. Right. And so they put out Brian Wilson presents Smile as an album in 2004. And like it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. And then several years later, they put out the Beach Boys recordings of Smile and they've assembled them to roughly match the Brian Wilson Presents Smile version of Smile. So there's all these versions of Smile, and none of them are like what Brian Wilson, quote unquote, would have done in 1967. Well, what Brian Wilson would have done in 67 is what he did do. That's the yeah. thing, right? Smile is the creation of Smile kind of inevitably ended up at this place of complete fracturing and never actually having been finished in any significant way. I always say that Smile has unfinished business in its DNA. Like it's, uh, yeah. the, the album is largely about like an America that's based on colonialism cannot be considered a full and finished nation. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a major theme of the album. On top of the fact that it was written in this crazy modular way where he took like ages to like finish things and he was just not in a place to finish what he did. And if you put if you put a version of Brian Wilson into 1967 that could have finished that album, it probably wouldn't be a Brian Wilson that would record a lot of what we now love most about that album. <laughs> so the thing that destroyed it is is based in the same mechanism that led to it being legendary. But it's a little different with a smite with a Snyder cut, because Snyder was stopped from finishing what he would have done in 2017. He was. Right? The commonality here is that they're both like this unknowable object, right? Yeah. The, 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 whatever Snyder would have done had things not gone sideways in 2017, there's n- there's no way that Snyder working in 2020 can make that exact thing. So it has to be its own object, and that's okay. But yeah. there's this weird have your cake and eat it quality to the statements surrounding this where they're tr- kind of trying to, again, they're implying that they're, they had a complete version ready 2017 but also essentially reconstructing it from the ground up in a lot of ways Um, yeah and also jared leto yeah oh perfect yeah like this was so we're almost caught up to the present as we record this um where like in october 2020 it comes out that jared leto is reprising his pretty widely maligned role as the joker from the film suicide squad and in the reshoots it even becomes clear that like that's pretty much what the reshoots are like that that's that's just what it was like it was reshooting it was shooting a scene that's according to snyder he wrote a version of it three years ago slightly different but very similar quote unquote for a multitude of reasons i didn't do it we'll never know exactly what those reasons are (laughs) it might have been because he was forced out just before he got a chance to who knows but if that's the only scene he didn't shoot, then you would think that it was like scheduling conflicts with Leto or something. I, f- I think that's probably the most plausible explanation. That kind of seems to make it clear that he did have the footage for a finished cut, right? 
yeah, that that two two hundred fourteen minute version that was in the film cans on the post on Vero where he said, "Does it exist?" Of course it does. That that was a finished cut, and he had that cut sitting around, and he decided to come back to it and make it longer. Is that because it was like a rough cut? Is it because it would like that was the cut he was presenting to Warner Brothers as like this is the cut that I think we could put out in theaters, and now that he doesn't have to worry about putting it out in theaters, he's just making it how long he would want it to. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, and again, like we'll never know, especially because from the look of things, we can't entirely trust Snyder to either be honest about or have good memory about his intentions at the time. And like in that, like also in November, he says that the cut of the film is six chapters in an epilogue. (laughs) Um, this, this part I'm weirded out by because yeah. how is that going to fit into a four-hour miniseries? Yeah, why not make it like a six-part miniseries instead of a four-part miniseries if it's six chapters? Like, is chapter two going to take place in both part one and part two? Mm-hmm. Then this is one of the key mysteries that I'm I'm looking forward to hearing an answer for, and it's it's part of why that, that Twitter thread is unfinished to date. And uh, I'll just say that this month, he said that there's only four minutes of the film from the new shoots from 2020, and that 2.5 hours of footage are in the new version of the film that were not in Whedon's cut of the film. So what's the $70 million for? The best bet is that it's for effects, right? Like yeah, $70 million dollars for effects for a two and a half hour blockbuster is not crazy. But then why the initial reports of 20 to 30 million, you know? Um, went over budgeting. I'll also note that the math of this works out too. So Whedon's cut was 120 minutes long and Snyder's version is going to be over four hours long. Uh, I think Snyder's associates and maybe even Snyder himself talked about how they think that it was over half of the film. Uh, the Whedon cut was new footage. But if Snyder's cut is four hours long and there's only two and a half hours of unseen footage, then 90 minutes of the Whedon cut or so roughly have to have been Snyder's footage, right? <laughs> like, and, and fans have, I've, I've spoken to fans um, of, of Snyder, like diehard fans of Snyder about this um, odd bunch, um, but very passionate. Uh, and they have insisted that, um, Whedon's cut was mostly Whedon. That that's that's what all the evidence suggested. I just I I just don't understand then how the visual scheme of that movie works because you have yeah. I don't know like you have so many shots in that movie that are clearly Alexa and clearly done a lot later. I mean the Ben Affleck thing, right? That to me is like a very clear giveaway. Yeah. Uh, same with the um the Superman guy, the the male model. <laughs> Henry Cavill, yeah. Like the mustache thing, right? The majority of his footage does not feature that mustache. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, whatever he, he infamously during the Whedon shoots, he had a mustache that he wasn't willing to shave off. <laughs> no, it was that the studio he was shooting for, the Paramount. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Paramount w- wasn't willing to let him shave it because he was working on Mission Impossible six. I, I love that bit of studio. <laughs> yeah. And so it's very obvious when they had to CGI out that that mustache ben affleck's but, even more egregious though because yeah. about two-thirds of ben affleck's shots he looks great he looks like he did in batman uh, v superman. superman dawn justice yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a title 
but and and then it's clear that he was going through either either he just wasn't expecting to do the reshoots and had you know was in between movie shape or he was going through some sort of rough patch or something um but he looks like a mess in the reshot footage and that's the minority of the stuff though is the mess (laughs) yeah yeah it's a distinct minority I mean, I, I mean, so much of that movie is 100% CGI with almost no practical elements that all this becomes really tough to suss out. Yeah, but between that two and a half hour thing and like, you know, two and a half hours of footage um, new from the Whedon cut, which would seem to prove that the Whedon cut is mostly Snyder's footage, um, albeit like I'm sure a lot of it was reshaped and colored in ways that Snyder would not have approved of, but it's still <laughs> footage that Snyder shot. Between that and between the 1.85 thing, um, you would think by now that like the more credulous portions of the Snyder fan base and the Snyder Cut fan base would begin to take things with more of a grain of salt, but you just don't see that. And I think it's because this stuff is just kind of imposing from the outside to like sort through and suss out. And it's just easier to run with the narrative that you like and that you already have. But it seems fairly obvious at this point that the Snyder cut, that the most of the Whedon cut is Snyder footage and that we're not exactly going to see a whole new, like complete refresh of all the stuff we saw in Justice League 2017. You know, we're going to see a doubly big movie or doubly big miniseries, but, but this all, this all kind of leads into the last big black and chrome. Yeah. Though, though this is what made me think, okay, I need to get this all in a Twitter thread. And this is what made this podcast more of a thing we could do right now rather than waiting for the movie to come out. Yeah. Uh, a new version of the trailer came out. <sighs> black and white. It is black and white. It's in black and white. Snyder says in an interview around the time the trailer comes out, like, yeah, we, uh, we're we going to put out this trailer tomorrow, I think. I think it was the day before the trailer came out. And he says, my ideal version of the movie is the black and white IMAX version of the movie. That, to me, is the most fan-centric, most pure, most Justice League experience because that's how I lived with the movie for two years in black and white. So what does that mean? <laughs> like was that like the did he have like what <laughs> yeah you know what can i can i tell you a story please we were looking for sponsorship for a for, for a film i was shooting for a director i quite like working with uh we went okay let's talk to a local camera rental house and for whatever reason they you know they invite me in to almost like a job interview even though we just wanted to rent gear from them for a cheap rate to you know get so they could sponsor us. <laughs> and so I go in and uh, one of the films that they've seen is The Martyr. And they like they critique it. They, they, they tell me what they like and don't like. And their biggest criticism is, um, so that film, for those of you who haven't yet seen it, which is most of you, you know, it's, it's a satire about indie film sets. There's a film within the film that's black and white, but, the, but our film is in color. So occasionally cut to black and white footage. The piece of feedback I got was, you know, you have to shoot black and white footage differently than color footage, right? And the black and white stuff doesn't look so good. And my response was basically like, you know, realize that's a joke, right? <laughs> the, the, our characters in our film are not good filmmakers, so their film looks bad. Um, and then they, you know, their response was something along the lines of, well, maybe the audience won't realize that. <laughs> Anyways, this is a long way around of saying most of the audience that, realized it for for the record. Most yeah, of the audience pretty seemed sure. to get it. I think. You never know. They might have just been blown smoke up our asses, but I, I genuinely think they got it. But, you know, the crux of the criticism I got, even though 
I don't think it applied to our film. I think it was totally true. Yeah. Black and white, you have to shoot differently than color footage. It's a fundamentally different way of composing. You you lose yeah. a dimension of composition, which is color. So if you have someone, if you have a person lit red on a blue background, if you shoot in color, you get separation, depth. If you shoot in black and white, it flattens out because the audience can't tell what's blue and what's red. So you need to work with contrast more stridently. Yeah, your lighting changes, Your every everything changes a lot. Yeah. Everything changes a lot. You can't just make a movie black and white, um, which we'll get, you know, and... Uh, many have this, tried. <laughs> many have tried, and let's talk about George Miller in a minute, but this is so clearly a case where it was not composed for black and white. The new trailer is a muddy mess, and it looks terrible, and I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it does not look good. I mean... It's a dumpster yeah. fire. They're... Uh... I mean, and, this goes and the production back to... design, like yeah, the superheroes, most of them have bright colors with the exception of Cybertron or whatever. Yeah. Um, the, you know, Superman is red and blue. Batman is all grayscale and green. Like there's, there's, that's the thing about superheroes. <laughs> yeah. And again, yeah, you can take that away, but you got to redesign your movie from the ground up to compensate for that. And this has clearly not happened. Anyways, that's my rant. Go on. <laughs> I mean, and this goes back to, this is kind of a, a an accelerating trend. It seems like where back in 2008, George Miller Frank, ruined everything. <laughs> but before that, Frank Darabont in 2008, his original intent genuinely with his movie, The Mist horror movie was to shoot it black and white. That's that's what he wanted to do. And when the DVD came out, they put out the black and white version of that movie. Well, you who can blame for this is effing Roger Deakins, actually. <laughs> right. um, he was the first cinematographer to ever shoot on color film stock with the intent of DIing it to black and white for a whole feature. And, and that was so he could have more control over the image and he liked that the look of that process better. Um, and there's actually like, I mean, I think there's a leaked reel of that film that's in color. That's really interesting. No, but, the whole film um, in color is leaked. Is the whole film in color leaked now? Wow. Yep. What yep. a time to be alive. But I think this, we, we can say that, you know, Darabont did his thing, but this exploded after a certain filmmaker named George Miller released what uh was advertised as the black and chrome edition of mad max fury road because he says that when he made mad max 2 the road warrior what happened back then was when you made a film and you were projecting it for the uh composer and their orchestra to come to perform the score to is that it would be a high contrast black and white slash dupe meaning it, it was and he just loved how the road warrior looked like that and so apparently that just inspired him with fury road and we're not sure entirely exactly whether it was his preference or not um it the film certainly doesn't seem to be heavily protected for black and white although the fact that like the images are so crazy and there's so much color contrast in the color footage kind of sets it up to work as black and white most of the film is two monochrome palettes all the humans and the earth are all orange like pretty much across the board there's flashes of red and then the sky is blue and that's the central kind of guiding geometry of the film's color um it really helps with the viewability of the film because you always know where you're looking are you looking up or looking down well you can tell if you're looking at orange or looking at blue and that really helps and that is sorely missed in the black and white version yeah and i enjoy the black and white version i think it's not as good but as a curiosity it's fun yeah, and it's it's cool just in terms of getting across the textures of the film in a different way. But the color footage, the version of the film, I think the broad consensus is that it's definitive. Interesting workflow note, though. If you mm -hmm. desaturate the color version, it looks very different from the black and chrome version. They color corrected it extensively in black and white um, yeah. to uh, do things like increase local contrast in certain things. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's out there. 
in any case, after Fury Road, this becomes a, a minor trend. Like the movie Logan comes out by James Mangold and it's the the last like Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie and that comes out with a black and white version after the fact um I I forget what it's called it's some weird like um black and Logan or whatever like (laughs) and so I mean the the movie was just enough of a hit that I guess he could afford to put it out that way Parasite the movie by Bong Joon-ho uh that one best picture gets a black and white version um and at this point it's just becoming a bit ridiculous like it's like it's it's just it's a bit obvious that this is kind of like a like signifier of being an artist like at a certain point it's like okay like uh, you it's like the new dvd extended edition right yeah i doubt you shot this movie intending black and white and then like we're just like well the color version will be the version that comes out in theaters at first and then my real version comes out like it's just not plausible at this point so when snyder comes out and says yeah my ideal version is the black and white version there's only if there's one kind of benefit to snyder saying that um you know this is the version i've lived with for two years that wording to me is super telling so he's lived with it for two years. So that means since at least November 2018, one year after the Whedon cut comes out theatrically and bombs, since at least then Snyder's watched the film in black and white. Uh, and he's presumably watched the film in full frame uh, and thinking like, oh, it'll be great to release this in IMAX or whatever. Um, and we know that, by the way, that Snyder knows the difference between 1.43 to 1 to 1.33 to 1. But the black and white trailer that he released does is still in 1.33 to 1, even though he's still saying he wants the movie in IMAX. So is the film just going to continue getting taller? Because it's been a pretty like, are we are we going to end up in like silent ratio? Uh, I'm thinking Queeby ratio, my friend. Oh, you, the full on Instagram. Yeah, I don't know. No, no, not even, no vertical. Oh, vertical ratio. This can only be seen on a thin one dimensional strip of pixels. Quibi should have bought this. Should have bought this movie. Uh, maybe they'd still be around if they could promise the Snyder cut. Anyway, here's my best guess: is that when you live with a movie for too long in post production, it does weird things to your head. It it screws with your perception and your ability to make judgments. Like uh, tons of directors and even just people in post production will tell you that like after they live with a cut for too long and they, they, the changes they start making stop making the movie better, they just get weird. They lose perspective, right? And the, the movie... The movie ends up becoming a response to itself, almost. Compositions that once seemed fresh and bold and really genuinely were now seem like old and uninteresting. And then suddenly when you change the aspect ratio or you drastically change the color scheme, it's like, oh, this is new and fresh and it's so much better. But really, it's just new. It's just that you're sick of the film. If he spent the time between November 2017 when the Whedon cut came out and November 2018 just pouring over what he already had and tinkering with it, even though there was at the time no serious hope of it coming out, then like, yeah, I can see him as just like working on his own little pet personal project that he doesn't expect people to see. I could see him going like oh yeah i like this in black and white this is fun or like you know this is in 1.43 to 1 or 1.33 to 1 like this is this looks cool i like this better now and you don't really have to worry about (laughs) how it actually looks to mass audiences because at that point it's like he's (laughs) got his own like little 
$400 million movie for, to himself, right? Uh, so that's kind of my guess is that like we're seeing what happens when that little $400 million movie that like no one has a hope of seeing and that you've poured over beyond any rational perspective or distance, uh, what happens when that comes out for a mass audience and it is... It's just craziness, right? Like a, a year ago, we had a three and a half hour movie in 1.85 to one in color uh, in our heads. And that's what the Snyder Cut is. And over the course of a year, like month by month, it's become a four part miniseries in six chapters in 1.33 to one with rounded corners and black and white. Like, that's just crazy. It, it, it's <laughs> like, bonkers. And I, I don't know, this feels mildly unprecedented. Yeah, it's gone from like, I mean, it's it's there was a time when this was kind of like the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, which Superman 1 and Superman 2 were like shot back to back. And Richard Donner was fired when he shot 75 percent of Superman 2. Mm -hmm. And then years and years and years later, his cut was finished with a mix of like outtakes and stuff that was shot for the movie where he was replaced and even some screen tests. And there was a very, very meager special effects budget allocated to finish it. You know, it's like it's it's an imperfect representation of what could have been. Then you have stuff like, you know, Robert Wise's um, Star Trek director's cut, right? Where yeah. he's basically giving the film the care in post-production that he wished he could have been able to give it on release, right? Stuff like, you know, more thoughtfully editing scenes because um, finishing wide shots <laughs> that there wasn't budget or time to finish in 79. And that, I think, is a, it's almost an ideal of what you can do with that, right? Where it's like, we didn't have time to finish this film that, was, that could have been finished had we had a better schedule. Um, yeah. And we weren't under a, some studio's gun, right? Yeah. Where it is pretty clear to me that the director's cut is, resembles the film that they would have been able to release had they had that time. Yeah. And sadly, they mastered that cut in 480i. So the only way to watch the director's cut in HD is with like some scrupulously rigorous fan recreations. Those are great, though. They yeah. did a great job. Yeah. And then you've got someone like Francis Ford Coppola, who it like has recut Apocalypse Now twice, who is now recutting The Godfather 3, and is still like the other versions of the film are still being kept in the wild, and we love that. Um, and presumably the 2017 version of Justice Cut, Justice League will continue to exist. It's just, it's too confusing. <laughs> but... I don't know. I, I think we've reached a point where I'm no longer like pro Snyder cut, where I'm not like, in spite of the fact that it's a lot of money going to a failed project that's not likely to be good anyway. Um, <laughs> it's still interesting and Snyder's got his own vision. It just feels like, okay, we're paying $70 million, not we, but like they're paying $70 million that could have gone to really good small films. And they're doing it for what? For like, well, for, for this... a filmmaker whose previous um, like unadulterated entry in the series was Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. It's it does not resemble what would have come out in 2017 whatsoever. Legitimately, I think the black and white version of the Snyder Cut, like the definitive version, the version of Justice League that he thinks is quote unquote the most fan centric. I don't know how many of his fans are black and white movie fans, but whatever. But this version of the film is, I think there's a really good shot. It's going to look worse on balance than the Whedon cut did. Like we've gotten to that point where one of the big selling points of the Snyder cut, which is like, oh, it'll look better. 
is no longer a selling point. <laughs> like this is a bigger change than changing a night scene to a day scene in color, you know? Like it's a it's a really radical reinvention of the look of the whole film between the aspect ratio and the color and like mm -hmm. even besides that when you look into the structure of it, like I've never thought that Snyder's films were uh, terribly well written at all, but getting 4 hours of that even if it's broken up into chunks sounds frankly a bit interminable and i'll watch it i'll eagerly watch it and i'll rewatch the 2017 justice league <laughs> because like it's just so crazy we, we watched but, we watched trump card well yeah like <laughs> we watched some garbage we not enjoy even but i think we get value from watching incredible failures yeah so if like if Zack snyder is listening to this i would say this look you need to fully account for not just the version of the film you would like today, but the version of the film that you were making in 2016 and 2017 during production. Like, at this point, you kind of owe it to the public <laughs> and, and like, for all the support you've gotten and, like, for the second chance you've gotten to make, to get carte blanche on your movie, honestly. You owe it to the people who have helped support you with that to, like, show them the storyboards that you and Wagner worked on in... 2017 2016 like show evidence of the aspect ratio like tell us exactly how you like the moment you put this movie into black and white right like like if you're not going if you're going to make such radical changes that are obviously not what it was going to be at least give us a timeline of that like that is at this point the most interesting thing about the film is just like the story of you reforming it over and over and over why do we care will uh well i mean i care just because it's interesting i also care because it is such a crazy allocation of money to this film that like i high like 70 million dollars into like a big budget like streaming service flagship that was like a failed blockbuster in 2017 that few people liked like I'm pretty skeptical of that. And like I said, it's pretty dubious that this money didn't go to more deserving projects. But also just there's so many instances I've seen of the record not being straight on all this, right? And it's giving people really bad impressions of how films are made and how to analyze film form um, and just like how stuff works, right? Like truth matters. <laughs> The way that it feels like many filmmakers talk themselves into buying in to what I think are pretty silly trends to signify certain artistic ambitions, right? It's not that you're yeah. actually putting the work. It's not that Snyder is actually, I think, put the work into making a film that's artistically viable. It's that he's basically putting a new coat of paint on the thing in post-production to uh, signify to his fans what the film aspires to be. I just find that a really crappy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, and I think it's a bad lesson for people who want to make films to learn that making an actual work of art with worth, it's not a matter of actually building from the ground up something that is thoughtful. It's how you present it later. Um, and I actually, there's some merit, there's some truth there. Um, yeah. But I think that that's not, the, that's not the center of gravity of that whole idea. The shame of this is, in a sense, that like Zack Snyder's biggest opportunity 
to kind of burnish his position as blockbuster filmmaking, one of its auteurs, like one of its um, singular artists, has wound up making his legacy look pretty retrospectively bad. Like a lot of the stuff that Zack Snyder's critics, including, in full disclosure, me, have said about him in the past was stuff along the lines of like, oh, like this feels like signifiers of importance or artistry without actually any depth behind it. And so when you see him making these decisions without all that much rhyme or reason and obscuring their origins and not coherently justifying them on like his biggest carte blanche movie, it just kind of affirms that sucker punch is like kind of what we thought it was, you know, (laughs) like even when the Snyder cut of justice league comes out, sucker punch will still be his biggest carte blanche film where he got to like make a world from the ground up, make it however he wanted, cut it however he wanted, do the effects however he wanted, wrote Mm. it. Like that is his biggest auteur movie. And it looks like the more you give him control, like the closer you kind of get to like the scattershot, crazy, unfocused, kind of morally crappy world of (laughs) Sucker Punch. So that's the Snyder Cut. That's our that's our big no topic. It's it's the episode about nothing. (laughs) Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as we did. Paige Smith is our superstar associate producer. If you like the podcast, you know, leave us a rating and review for us on your podcast service of choice. You can also contribute to us on our Patreon at Film Formally, and you'll get some perks to boot and help keep the show going. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, at Film Formally. This podcast was recorded on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil peoples. See you next week for a non-emergency podcast. Boo, boo, boo.